great to see you here. Boy, I tell you, it, you know, you, you try to be, uh, when you're a, a preacher, you live in the fear of the Lord in that you try to be true to what the Bible teaches. And so uh, you don't, I remember my, um, one of my professors at Regent College says, if you want to be creative, don't be a theologian. This isn't, uh, creativity isn't about theology. It's about being true to what God has already spoken. And so we're going to try to do that today. Now, what that means is that it's not always comfortable conversations. So I'll keep smiling if you do. And uh, we're going to work through this topic of justice today and uh, the judgment of God. But hopefully we'll do it in a way that's life-giving and true to his word. We have started last week on the book of 1 Samuel. I love this book. It's just, I don't know why, but it's just been one of my favorites over the years. And the book starts, as we talked about last week, between a tale of two families, uh, where there's Elkanah, has two wives, already starts a super awkward. Uh, one of his wives has children, the other doesn't. And... Um, and then the one who doesn't, her name is Hannah. And then she ends up giving birth to a son, Samuel. And uh, he becomes the prophet and priest and not quite king, but like that, to the people of Israel. And then Eli, who was in charge at that time, his sons die. He ends up dying on the same day. Really, really tragic. Well, in, sec in 1 Samuel chapter 2, after Hannah gives birth to Samuel, she is super excited. The main reason why she's excited is her, uh, the other wife of Elkanah has been ridiculing and mocking her for years for not having children. Her name is Peninnah. And so uh, listen to how Hannah talks about having a child in the light of being mocked and ridiculed and in a sense dishonored by this other wife. First Samuel chapter two, starting in verse one, my heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord, my horn or my strength is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies. It's kind of one of those, you know, in your face kind of things. My mouth boasts over my enemies. She calls Peninnah, her enemy, for I delight in your deliverance. There was no one like you, the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. So he's saying to Peninnah, look, you know, you got God to deal with, not just me. And then what she does is she goes into what we're going to be calling seven reversals, seven things that God churns upside down in the name of justice. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. So if you're a warrior, you're going to be broken, but if you're not, you're going to be honored with strength. Those who were full, those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry hunger no more. So the hungry become full, the full become hungry. Uh, she, who was she who was barren has borne seven, 
It's just a, a way of saying many children, but she who has had many sons pines away. Now she's talking about her and Peninnah. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them he has set the world. So she's saying that this, this moment of a miracle in my life is an example of how God's ruling the whole world. He will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the first time in the Bible that the idea of a Messiah is mentioned. And so scholars think that Hannah is able to prophetically see that out of Samuel, out of this lineage, this Christ figure is going to come the Messiah. This is all, I mean, just this little moment has these cosmic proportions. So why is Hannah so happy? And what is she rejoicing? And it's this, God's just judgment. She is super happy that her enemies are judged and she's rewarded. Now that is a different way of thinking. If you are somebody who's grown up in the church, you're probably familiar with a verse in James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, mercy triumphs over judgment. So if you grew up in the church, and maybe this is just kind of your orientation, but uh, Canadians, I think in general, think this way, that judgment is a bad thing and mercy is a good thing. And if you are super merciful, that is somehow going to conquer judgment. Doesn't that sound like a Christian way to think? If we're just super merciful, judgment gets conquered, and everybody's going to get along. Here's the point. Judge how you want to be judged. Judge how you want to be judged. So if you would like to be judged in mercy, be merciful. If you would like to be judged for... Uh, you know, for your excellence and for your boasting and for however great you think you would, then I will judge you on that basis. But I'm a just God, and so I'm going to judge others on how they've judged others. Are you following me on this? Romans 12:19 says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. So if I am uh, not merciful, I'm going to be other people's judge, and I'm going to take revenge out on them. I'm going to give them what I think they deserve. But as I give them what I think they deserve, that's going to come back on me, and I get what I deserve. So God says the only way that you're going to get free of being judged is if you give away mercy. And if you give away mercy, then I'm going to be merciful to you. Justice will demand that. This is just really interesting. So, uh, so Hannah chose mercy toward Peninnah. She didn't retaliate. 
She took her deep shame and angst to the Lord. She didn't try to be revengeful toward Peninnah. Hannah chose mercy over revenge because she feared God's judgment. Solomon has a prayer in 1 Chronicles 6.23. Listen to this. This is uh, Solomon praying to God. Judge between your servants, condemning the guilty and bringing down on their heads what they have done, and vindicating the innocent by treating them according to what? According to their, with their innocence. So uh, uh, here's how it works. God is going to judge Panna for her arrogance and boasting for having children when someone else is, is barren. She's going to be judged for that. But if Hannah retaliates and says, you know, I'm going to make you pay and then lives in a way that's full of revenge and bitterness, then she's also going to get judged. Everybody gets judged. So she thinks, well, okay, if I'm going to get judged, then how do I want to be judged? Do I want to be judged for being revengeful, or do I want to be judged for being innocent? I'm going to choose innocence. And I'm going to now deal with Penina in a way that doesn't participate in her evil, but walks in an opposite spirit, in an opposite way, and I'm going to, I'm going to prove myself innocent in this matter. And if I'm innocent, perhaps my God will come and show mercy to me and grant to me a child. Isn't this fascinating? She's operating on a justice paradigm. And the just thing to do towards somebody who's merciful is to give them mercy. So she says, well, I want mercy, so I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to prove myself innocent so that when judgment comes, I'll be found righteous and I'll be rewarded by God instead of condemned. Like, this is just, uh, okay, okay. I remember the, uh, I, I use this story in transformations, and I remember the first time that I, uh, that I had to work through uh, uh, the, a matter of justice. <clears throat> and um, I'd, I'd just been a Christian for a short amount of time, and I'm getting, I'm getting mocked by this guy who uh, I, we drove the, I lived out in the country, and so we had to drive the bus into the school. And so he would hassle me uh, coming to and from school every day. I remember his name a long time ago, but I don't forget these things. It was hard on me. He would, I'd be in the, uh, I'd be in the, in the bus, and he'd tap the top of my head with his pencil all the way home. Like, okay, okay, a little hard. Man, I wish I was bigger. <clears throat> and so, uh, so this happens for the, for the first term. My brother Jory comes home from, uh, from university, and I tell him about my problem. And I want justice but I kind of don't really want justice. I mostly want revenge. And my brother is bigger than this guy, and so maybe he can do something, I don't know. One can only hope. 
And uh, so I, I tell him about how I'm being hassled. And in my heart, I want, I want this person to pay, and I would have done it if I could. I am not being godly, all right? I kind of want justice. I mostly want revenge. And so my brother does what I did not want. He says, and it's, uh, it's also in Romans 12, he says, uh, well, God says for us to love our enemies. And I'm thinking, I hate where this is going. <laughs> and uh, he, says, uh, he says, what I think you should do is he says, I think you should, uh, you should get him a Christmas present. And not just any present, give him something that's meaningful to you. So back then, I don't even know if you guys know what this is, but there was a series of books back in the day called The Hardy Boys. <laughs> okay, a couple of you, I get it. Uh, and I love those books. I just devoured them. I wanted to collect, I think there was 51 of them or something. I wanted to collect all of them. And, and so, uh, so I thought, well, I really like these. So I'm going to give him one of my books, you know. And I'm also going to give him a Christian comic. Just slip that in and hopefully that'll change something. And so, uh, so, I, so the, the, you know, the day before Christmas holidays, I get off at his bus stop. And uh, I wrapped everything up. I says, I mumbled something, you know. I says, here's a present, Merry Christmas. And I give him the present. And all Christmas break, I am freaking out. Because I go, I mean, I was weak, and now he's going to see my weakness and just capitalize on it. And so I am dreading going back to school in January. So I get back to school, and he sees me across the way, and he goes, hey, Greg. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. And he says, uh, he says, thanks for the Christmas present. He says, uh, I read, you know, I read the comic. He says, I haven't read the book yet. And I'm thinking, you know, you can't read. <laughs> but, uh, but anyways, I just thought it. I didn't say it out loud. And, uh, and he says, you know, thanks. And he never, and he never teased me after that, never bugged me again. And because of my brother, uh, mercy triumphed over my judgmentalism. Mercy, it's, I got set free. So maybe the, the way to read James 2 is to say that mercy triumphs over our judgment. That when you're merciful, you'll no longer come under the judgment of God. That's what's going on. So we need to grapple with the idea that there is a God who has established uh, the world uh, uh, on justice, and he's holy and righteous and will execute judgment. This is the God that you and I serve and worship, and we need him to be this way. But... Uh, What we need to grab hold of this morning is that maybe our views of mercy were attempts to undermine his judgment and justice because we don't really want him to be that. We would prefer to have a God that is just a kind teddy bear 
And when we do bad things, he goes, you know, yo, it's all good. And I love you just the way you are. And you don't ever have to change. And I just, I just give out mercy all the time to everybody. And I think what scripture teaches is that he gives out mercy to the merciful. Now, of course, his mercy saves us. But he seems to reserve the giving of mercy out to what uh, First Chronicles describes as the innocent. Now, this isn't about some works righteousness thing. But what this is about is people getting what they deserve. And if you want, if you desire to give out mercy, you get it. Okay, this is already sobering. That was point one. Point two. How then is God just? Okay, so we know that he's just, and we know that that's how he's ruling the world, and you're going to face him one day. Everyone in this room will face him and uh, will be judged without exception. How is God just? What does this justice look like? What we see in Hannah's prayer is that there are, he reverses injustice. So his justice reverses injustice. And we see this in seven ways. We don't have to go through this in, in a detailed way. But if, you're, uh, if you have striven for strength, he'll make you weak. And if you have chosen weakness, he'll make you strong. If you have striven to be full, he'll make you hungry. And if you're hungry, he'll make you full. If you have uh, striven for fertility and demanded it to be true, you might be barren. And if you're barren, God seeks to bless you with fertility. If you're alive, death is what's in your future. If you see yourself as dead, he makes you alive. This is just shocking stuff. If you've grasped for, for being well, he might make you sick. And if you're sick, he longs to make you well. If you're rich, you can anticipate poverty. If you're poor, his justice will come to make you rich. And finally, if you try to exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. And if you're humble, he'll exalt you. Now, this is exactly what we see if you just think that this is some Old Testament thing going on. We see this in the Beatitudes, which is what Jesus spoke in Matthew chapter 5. I won't read them all, but listen to this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a New Testament teaching as much as it's an Old Testament teaching. So it gets tricky again. Uh, we, uh, every nation, Vancouver, we're a charismatic church. We believe in the blessings of God and anticipate them eagerly. And if you're sick, we're going to pray for you. And, if, uh, and we're going to believe God for, for uh, prosperity, even. And I love all that. 
because I think we serve a good God who's not mean-spirited. He's kind and generous in every way. So what's going on here? Doesn't God want to bless us? Is this some trickery where the only way that we get a blessing is if we, you know, feign being poor and destitute and hungry? Is that how we get him to, to get on our good side? He just has pity on us? God does want to bless us. But it would be unjust to bless the selfish. It would be unjust of him to bless the selfish. Jeremiah 17, 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And that's a New Testament thought as well. He says, I examine your heart and I'll reward you according to what you've done on this earth. I promise it to be true because I'm a just God and you can depend upon my justice. You can rely on it for the earth is founded on it and it's, the, and it's, it's an essential characteristic of my loving nature. <clears throat> so the final point that we'll look at, then that's how God is just. God looks at the world and he he looks at those who have uh, created their own heaven on earth at the expense of others, and he'll condemn them for it. And he looks at those who have been merciful and peacemaking and kind and generous, and he'll reward them with eternal life. He reverses. So now we look at the we look at the the rich. You know you, what's in the news these days: the uh, whole money laundering thing. You know, and uh, and we can look at that and go, man, the wicked seem to be doing well. And so something in our heart can rise up and say, well, then I'm going to be wicked. I'm going to I'm just going to take I'm going to do what I think I need to do. To bring heaven to earth. And God says, but if you continue to choose mercy and kindness and self-sacrifice, then I will reward you. You won't be your reward. I'll be your reward. And I'll give you beyond whatever your heart could imagine. But don't imagine that I'm going to bless your selfishness. They'll be held accountable for that. I promise it to be true. My justice guarantees it. At the end of the age, all the books will be balanced. Will you trust me to be just? And the way that you trust me to be just is by practicing mercy. So, what's our challenge then? What's the challenge of being uh, of recognizing a just and righteous God. Well, who wants to be weak, hungry, and poor? I mean, that's just a hard sell. And I don't think anybody here is coming to church today 
to say, come to Jesus and sign up to be in the lowest caste, to be the worst off, to be the one that is not grasping for power or recognition or success. It's vulnerable to need God to be just. It's vulnerable to be at his feet and say, deliver me. You look at the prayer of Hannah, read it in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and you'll see a woman who is refusing to grasp for revenge and retaliate, and you'll see somebody who cries out. It says that she wept bitterly, and she was so distraught that the priest at that time thought that she was drunk. I mean, that's some kind of distress. And she cast herself upon God vulnerably, crying out for his merciful justice. And then we add to that the reality that there seems to be a gap between uh, our need for justice and God bringing justice. Have you noticed this? And that gap can last a good 90 years. Sometimes. Sometimes it comes more quickly. I like those. But sometimes uh, the justice that you cry out for might not happen very soon. And so you and I live in this tension of knowing that God is just, trusting that that's true, but not always being able to see that as quickly or as fully as we would want. So what's going on here? God uses injustice to prepare us for judgment. God uses injustice to prepare us for judgment. There's something that happens to you and I when we're unjustly treated. And it can send us in one of two directions. It can send us towards uh, retaliation and revenge and self-protection and all those things. Because we just get tired of being mistreated and we fight for our rights. That's pretty common, isn't it? But God says that his injustice could produce something very different in us. Because here's what happens when, when injustice is toward me. Uh, I realize I'm just like them. So, uh, so somebody, you know, oh man, I just can't give examples because you know, it's incriminating. Uh, not to me, I just don't want to, I just don't want to, these things are recorded and I just, uh, I just want to be respectful to people. So I, I'm sorry that I have to talk, talk in, in vague terms. But I think of people who have sought to defame me. And you know what I want to do? I want to defame them. 
If I'm honest with you, that's what I would like to do. I would like to uh, prove myself innocent in a way that condemns me. I would like to prove myself great, which actually is my condemnation. Do you follow that? Because the moment that I try to show that I'm great, I'm now, you know, uh, fighting in the exact same way that they, they do, and I've shown myself to not be full of mercy, to not be kind, to not be generous, but to be proud and self-centered. And so what, what injustice does in my heart is it, is it gives me a glaring opportunity to either, uh, it reveals my heart, that I'll either fight for my rights or I'll fall on God's mercy and cry out for him to be just and for him to vindicate me. Um, I think it is ingenious of God to let injustice remain because I think it's the best way to purify us for the coming judgment. And so uh, I want heaven on earth. I pray that thy kingdom come. I want that. But what I don't realize is the way that that kingdom will, be, will come is through mercy, not through fighting for it and demanding that I get it on my terms. And injustice reveals the wickedness of my heart and challenges my selfishness and says, you know how, how you would like them to be judged. You're looking a whole lot like them. Do you want to keep walking down this road? Is that what you want? Trust me, I'm just. I have no problem. But which side of my justice would you like me to give you? The punishment side or the reward side? But if you operate in an, in an opposite attitude, I'll come with mercy. And I will be your deliverer. And you'll be like Hannah, rejoicing over my goodness. But it will require you to give up your sense of justice. So let me ask you in closing. This is a big deal, you guys. Let me ask you in closing. Are you preparing for judgment? I think we should spend this short time on earth preparing ourselves to meet the king. It, scripture promises that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. We will all be judged. Christians will be judged. Non-Christians will be judged. Everybody gets judged. I want to be found innocent on that day, that I practice mercy, that I would receive mercy. I want to stand before my judge and cry out for mercy. And he says, why would I be merciful? I go, I tried. I tried to, I, I mean, nobody's going to succeed at this, but that's what mercy is all about. But I, my orientation of my life was to more mercy. And God sees my heart and will reward me accordingly.
God will see your heart and reward you accordingly. I appeal to you to prepare for judgment because the coming judgment of God is the only way to make sense of today and to know what to do today. I think it's first Corinthians or second. Maybe it's second. So if there is no resurrection of the dead, then let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. If there is no coming judgment, if there is no reward, then just live however you want to live, really. I mean, you got a couple of years, you might as well make the best of it. Grasp for what you can get. Step on others. Because it's all that's going to happen. But if there's a coming judgment, that determines your eternity, prepare for it. And so we see Hannah getting a foretaste of what it feels like when justice comes. And she can hardly control herself with the joy that's in her heart. And in this life, you will get a foretaste of justice. You will. It'll never feel like enough. But it's enough to know that he's capable and able to be a judge. And it puts the fear of the Lord in us. And so we cry out for mercy, not as a way to, to, to escape his justice, but as a way for him to fulfill his justice as we have sought to live in the mercy of God. God wants to reward you. God wants to, be, to justly reward you with his mercy, with eternal life, and blessings abundant. That is his heart. And that heart is toward every single person on the face of this planet. But if you insist on being evil and self-centered, he will not reward you. He will punish. Father, I ask that you would sober our hearts with an eternal perspective. I pray that you would give us the grace to fear you. Father, I thank you that your justice does not diminish your mercy, it magnifies it. And that when you come and you see hearts that have desired mercy, you die for them and give them far beyond whatever they could deserve. Far, far beyond. All you were looking for was for a heart that longed for love and relationship. It's all that you longed for, a repentant heart. And then you just fill that with blessings beyond what we could imagine. And so today I ask that you would give us the grace to prepare well to meet you on Judgment Day. And that we would be willing to endure the gap 
between longing for justice and experiencing justice, we'd be willing to endure that gap because we trust in you and we trust in your justice. Give us grace now to live in the light of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Um, I thought as we respond in worship, um, I was reminded of something during that, during that message. And uh, I've started to actually, it's a, way, it's a strange way of saying it, but uh, crave when there's injustice done towards me. Let me explain what I mean by that. Is it is the most tangible opportunity for me to uh, be saved again by what Jesus has done for me. Like, do I really have something left to prove or have you taken care of that? Am I really loved and accepted because you say that I am? Is everything, that, is, is everything already paid for because you paid for it? When injustice is done towards me, it's like, oh, what a great reminder. And so many times I just go, nah, I'm gonna have to make up for this one. No, I'm gonna have to make sure that I get my reward in full in, in this world and in my way and in my kingdom. And Jesus is the king of his kingdom and it's built on a different kind of economy. It's the kind of economy we talked about this morning. It's the kind of economy Hannah was tasting of, of where she just went, oh, what if I let you be the judge? And what if I let you be just? And what if I humble myself? And what She was already living in this, this new kingdom. And so, you know, we have a chance now to worship Jesus, but we're worshiping him as one who is king in this way, saying, let me save you. Let me be the one who's just. And that's what we're praising him for. Like, that's why we come here on Sundays and show up and go, like, you know what a beautiful name Jesus' name is. Because I don't have to fight for all this. I get to just be merciful freely. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying you're free. I'm just saying Jesus sets you free. I'm not saying it's <laughs> magical. And I'm, just, I'm stating a fact. I'm not saying, oh, you should feel something. It's like, no, look how it's, it's, it's better than a feeling. It's a fact. And so if, if you're really wondering if there's a place like where does it, maybe you don't have a good example of where injustice has happened to me today or something, some tangible place. This is why I love the church because it's just full of injustice all the time. Like volunteering is unjust, like by definition. You're not getting paid. You gotta serve someone else and it's not coming back to you in full. It's kind of the point, actually. It's the point of the whole thing. You're not gonna get rewarded for it. There's something else going on. Like, I love other people. Have you ever thought about volunteering as being merciful to your family? Like, it's not just. I'm gonna be merciful to you. I'm gonna serve here on the prayer team or whatever. I'm gonna be merciful to my family because I want to be shown mercy. And no, it's not going to come back on me. What about connecting in communities? That's really unjust. Persevering in relationship when people aren't giving it back to you? What if you feel isolated and alone and on the outside? Let me give you a, here's how our church can help set you free if you feel on the outside. <laughs> we should be better, we should be always better at connecting people and we're always going to try but there's just no way of being perfect at it. Can you please be merciful towards our family? Can you, can you show us mercy in our inadequacy? And in that way you get to experience being saved and then we're loved by it and we're better for it and I pray that you would be too.
But it's not about getting something in the end and oh now I got 17 best friends. It's I had an opportunity to serve someone else and be set free from my own self-rule. And so that's just the nature of messy family. It's an unjust place in many ways. It's one built on mercy. And it's one built on, you gotta be set free to be connected and in relationship. That's why Jesus did it. He set us free so we could be close to God and others. And that's what we worship him for.